Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Podcast. We are so glad that you've joined us today. We confess that we don't have all the answers, but as a community, we seek to find and follow Jesus and to discover daily the life he has always wanted for us. We hope this message will be encouraging and will inspire you to take the next steps on your spiritual journey. If we can help you in any way, please connect with us. The easiest way is through our website at ericksoncovenant.ca. Let's get started. Well, there is no realm of human existence that bears more hurt and pain than the area of human sexuality. Whether it's the way that corrupt men dominate and terrorize women, whether it's the horrific trafficking of sexual slaves, whether we consider the many girls and boys who have been and continue to be sexually abused, or the ways that humans persist in sexual practices that dehumanize others and themselves, we can say with utter confidence that sex or sexuality or our sexed bodies are locations of unspeakable pain and horror. You add to that the hypersexualization of bodies, tragically younger and younger bodies, so that people are just reduced to body parts. You add to that the crazy ways that gender gets stereotyped to everyone's disservice, as though boys should always or only act like this, and girls must wear this or look like this. Maybe the harmful teaching that has come out of the church, even, about sex or sexuality, and things start to get a bit desperate. And then, for good measure, let's just sprinkle on top of all that the current confusion that we're all experiencing, just thinking about sexual orientation or gender identity, and we do not know what end is up. And as if that weren't enough, those of us who call Jesus Christ our Lord and seek to love one another as brothers and sisters, we sometimes, or often, forget that we're not yet fully redeemed, and we fall prey to harmful patterns of sin, power, lust, disregard, misogyny, sexism, and a host of other sinful ways of thinking and behaving. We often don't even see it. We've hurt people in the name of Jesus. We've done irreparable damage when we should have been a people of healing and of grace. So to say that we image God as sexed bodies is to make a very bold claim a claim that is cast into constant doubt, not only by our own everyday interactions with each other, but by generations, long patterns of violence, exploitation, manipulation, and angst, which we've inherited and we continue to perpetrate. So sex bodies image God? You say it ain't so, right? And yet, God does say it's so. Perhaps unbelievably, our sexed bodies are a good gift from God. That he made us like this. That he actually wanted men and women. And while we need to qualify and explain what that means, somehow, and we know it, that living as embodied persons who are male and female is something very good, something very beautiful, something incredibly glorious. We have to grapple with how this is true and yet also how it's become so tragic and so painful 
as we seek to understand who we are as human beings. Well, we're into the fourth week of our teaching on human identity, and we've been exploring the, say it with me, of human identity. Exploring who we are based on who God has created us to be. First three weeks, very quickly, we looked at first, the first week was how people are created in the image of God. You and I created in the image of God. It's incredibly elevating to humans, incredibly dignifying that God created you to look like him. And he's amazing. You are too. In week two, we explored how as people, we image God through our relationality. That the God who created us, he is relational to the core, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he created people in his image who are relational at their very essence. And so we image God through our relationships. And then week three, last week, we explored how we do all this imaging of God relationally as fully embodied persons. Not a flesh suit with some divine spark or an immortal soul who's just renting out a dispensable body but as living souls, imaging God as whole, embodied, integrated humans. This week, we're going to take the framework we worked out last week in some detail and apply it to how we understand our embodied selves as bodies that are male and female. The fact is that we are sexed persons has, it has enormous implications. It touches every area of our life, and we can't for obvious reasons, chase down all those implications in one simple message, considering the level of hurt and pain that exists in so many of our lives around our sexed bodies, I'm aware that much of what I'm going to say today will seem less than satisfactory. You'll wish I had said more in certain places and less in others. I'll leave much more unsaid than said, but considering how long I talked last week, and probably will again today, I think you'll be at least happy I left some things unsaid, right? Amen? Yes? Okay. Well, my goal today is the same as it has been through this whole entire series. I'm not trying to answer every question. I am trying to lay out the basic Christian teaching on human identity from the scriptures so that the truth of who God has created us to be could act like a kind of working framework from which we can understand ourselves and respond to false and dehumanizing ideas. Let's pray before we go any further. Jesus, you are the perfect human, and you're also perfectly God. And we look to you today and ask that you would send your Holy Spirit to guide us now. Help us to be open to receive what you have. Help us to be able to uh, grapple with these implications for our own lives. Lead us with a vision of who you are and who you've created us to be. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, Genesis 1 provides the scriptural hooks on which to hang human identity. Right at the beginning, we heard it. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then God gives them a mandate to fill the earth and take care of it. The last two weeks of our series, the next two weeks, we'll be moving into that role and responsibility we have and how central that is to our human identity. But that's pretty much it there in Genesis 1. A little bit about who they are. And a little bit about what they're created for, that's it. But very significantly, of the very little that's given, we're told that these human images of God were created male and female. That is, that they image God as embodied persons who are sexed differently. 
which happens to also support the mandate to fill the earth and take care of it. But that's all we're really told. Being created male and female in the image of God means that humans do not image God apart from their relationships with others. Rather, they image it through them. Now, don't hear it and don't mishear me. The scriptures are very clear that each individual person, each one of you, created in the image of God, you in and of yourself. A woman images God, a man images God, a child images God. But we express that relational image as fully embodied sexed persons who exist in a web of dynamic relationships. And the truth is, while we do each individually image God, we can't fully image him or or really do that individualistically as solo people. But rather we do that as people connected for each other, and with each other in God's world. And this is a good thing. Remember what we explored last week about our identity as embodied persons? We're going to haul all that over and apply it today. So let's walk through it. First, good. Our sexed bodies were created by God, and they're called good. So good, in fact, that God deemed them essential to our ability to image him. Just think about that for a moment. They're noted as the key fact about these human images of God. Which means that being a man, being a woman, is not something less than. Not something to be demeaned or dismissed. Being a man is not something inherently depraved or disgusting. Being a woman is not somehow less than or deficient. No, none of that is true. Being a woman in the image of God is a wonderfully good gift of God to the world. You should look around the room right now at every woman and say, Whoa! You're a good gift from God. Oh, we're so happy he made women. I'm serious. Being a man, fashioning the likeness of God, is God's good act of, to benefit the whole world. You should look around at every guy in the room and say, yeah, yeah. try it. Yes, okay. Thing is, is we can't image God as sexless beings. God created us to image him as sexed persons. And what's more, we can't actually address the hurt and the wrongs which men and women have caused in the world and hurt each other if if we don't get our theology straight about the goodness of the male-female body. You know, when God said it was good, good, very good, he was looking at these sexed bodies as well. But as followers of Jesus, we don't stop at good. In a very real sense, good is not good enough, is it? As we come to know God through Jesus by the Spirit, we realize that our good sexed bodies are also God's. That is, our good sexed bodies are not ours to do with as we like because we belong to God himself. Now, I know this can rub some of us the wrong way. Some of you hackles it up already because You hold your autonomy and personal freedom pretty highly, don't you? God does too, by the way. But just just, just for a moment, realize that it doesn't change the fact that if you're a follower of Jesus, you've undergone a change of ownership. Remember our focus verse from last week, from 1 Corinthians 6? Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you? Whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. 
This is a very important truth as it applies to our sexed bodies. God made us good, but he also made us his. And he created us to flourish as we honor him with our sexed bodies. But then we talked about how, you know, good and God's also isn't the whole story. The reality is we are broken people. And that brokenness runs right to the core of who we are as embodied sexed persons. From chronic illness to gender dysphoria to disability, diabetes, death, and everything in between. We know something's off, don't we? I mean, something's wrong at home right here. Don't you ever feel that? Just because it's good and just because it's God's doesn't mean it's all right and it's all perfect. We actually need saving. We need a salvation that is a total restoration of our embodied sexed persons. And grappling with our brokenness is absolutely essential because it's often here at the level of our sexed bodies that we feel our brokenness most deeply. When we sin sexually or we have been sinned against sexually, we have been hurt at the deepest level of who we are, at the deepest level of human identity, whether we know it or not. Now, the ongoing story of Genesis points this out immediately. As soon as humans reject God's rightful authority and tell them to take a hike, the, 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 the man and the woman experience, immediately they experience bodily shame. They're naked, they hide from God until he finds them. And then blame ensues, and the result of human sin and rebellion leads to a fracturing of all relationships that make us human in the first place, from our relationship with God, our relationship with his world, our relationship with our inner selves. But most notably for today's teaching, it fractures the relationship between men and women. Suddenly, men and women who were designed to live in mutual relationships of love and care, to share this mandate together to fill and, and, and care for the earth, that relationship becomes twisted. And antagonistic. So men begin to use their power to dominate over woman, women. And women, they push back and attempt to scratch out a place for themselves. And it moves from love to war. And the rest, as they say, is history. A long, sad, abusive history of fractious relationships between men and women. But it's exactly at that point that the wonderful good news of Jesus comes. That the Son of God becomes flesh that Jesus is fully human so that he might become for us the perfect person. He lives the fully human life and he restores us fully to God. And no other religion and no other philosophy even dares to suggest what Christianity boldly proclaims, that God became part of his own creation, that God, in this unique and powerful way, through this one man, Jesus, joined himself irrevocably to humanity in this Jewish man. And Jesus, who was perfectly, fully faithful in his frailty, offers himself up on our behalf, and now by the gift of the Holy Spirit, comes to live inside of us, even in our broken, our creaky, leaky, not perfect, still messed up, yet somehow good and glorious bodies, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our bodies, our lives, for one reason, so that he can start restoring us to full humanity. Right now, right here, the Holy Spirit is at work restoring you. You're being restored by him. Now, he's got a ways to go, doesn't he? But he's also got a way to go. 
And he knows what he's doing. He's got resurrection in mind and he's aiming straight for it. And we've got to hold all this together as we seek to understand who we are sexually as sex people, where we've gone wrong, where we've hurt others, where Jesus is bringing healing and making us right, where we need to repent and name the sin, and how the Holy Spirit is seeking to restore us all with a view to the coming resurrection. So we're good, we're God's, we're broken, and yet the Holy Spirit is working to restore us. Well, I'd like to take a few moments to talk about how this restoration takes place. And this is critical because as we explore not only just what does it mean to be human, we're talking about something that's on the move, something the Holy Spirit is working on. Uh, he, he's trying to restore, and he's moving us a direction. So to understand how that's taking place is critical. It applies to everything we've been talking about so far, and of course applies directly to being embodied sexed people. Well, the first step of restoration is that, I've already said it, the Holy Spirit moves in. The Holy Spirit is the main means of our restoration. He makes us human again. He is restoring us to our full humanity. And this is a glorious truth that God moves into our broken down little hovels and he starts renovating the new digs, you know? He owns it after all. And he means to soak in this. This is where you gotta camp for a while. You gotta realize like, wow, it's really true. How much ever I might be disappointed with my body, how much ever I might kind of feel like I'm a less than or how much ever hurt I've experienced or the struggles that I have, the Holy Spirit still took residence in you. You. If you said yes to him, that's an incredible truth. The image that came to my mind this morning, I'm sorry, it's from Taxi Driver, you know, Robert De Niro, when he talks himself in the mirror with the gun. Okay, so rip the gun out for a moment. But just imagine yourself, I don't know, holding the Bible or something. But it's, it's, Oh, boy, is right. I didn't mean to say that. But you look at yourself in the mirror, and some of you need to do this, maybe daily, maybe hourly. You walk yourself and look yourself straight in the mirror and say, don't you know, don't you know that you're a temple of the Holy Spirit? Don't you know? You say, you're looking at me? You know? You're looking at me? Yeah, I'm looking at you. You got to talk to yourself. Don't you know? that the Holy Spirit of God lives in you? There are some of you, seriously, that's all you should be taking from today's message. You should be showing up in front of the mirror and doing some good truth talk to yourself because you need to know that the Holy Spirit has moved in to take up residence in your life, that your body your sexed body is a temple of God. Woohoo! Right? Yeah. I just think, okay, fine. Let's move on to the next point. So, <laughs> the Holy Spirit moves in, but it's like he also decides to move us in with some others. He makes the church our new family. Jesus calls us to be a people who are being restored together. No more of this solo nonsense. You weren't made that way. You weren't made for that. And the church, and I do not mean the four walls of a building, you know that, but the people of God, they're meant to be a new community who's being healed 
so that they can be a new community of healing and restoration for all people, regardless of your sexed experience, regardless of your embodied reality, regardless of your hurt, regardless of your sexual orientation. It does not matter if you're single or if you're married, if you're gay or lesbian or bisexual or transgender, straight, queer. It does not matter if you're black or white or Asian or indigenous or educated or illiterate, wealthy, poor, irritating, or lovely. The Holy Spirit brings all people into his family. Whoever simply says, Jesus, I trust you. I'm a mess. That's it. Jesus, I trust you. I'm a mess. Please come in. He comes in. And he brings them, us, into his family. He begins this work of full restoration. He's doing this gracefully and carefully and in his time. But he's doing this work of restoration in the context of a new family. And that's part of how this happens. You see, human oneness, human unity, now takes on a new meaning in Christ. Our human unity... Our unity as a people does not occur primarily through sexual union, but through union with Christ by the Holy Spirit. This is absolutely critical for us to understand. Paul wrote to the Galatians one of the most startling lines in all of history. He said this, he said, so in Christ Jesus, you're all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have been clothed, have clothed yourselves with Christ. Then he says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, he's not wiping those things out as though you're no longer like your ethnicity or you're no longer a male. You know, no. What he's doing is he's taking all the cultural divisions that existed in his day to keep people apart, racial, economic, and sexual. And he shares the marvelous truth that in the church, those are no longer things that keep us apart. We have been made one in Christ. We have been brought into a new family. And it's in this new family that we're receiving healing and grace, that we're growing and being restored as well as offering that to others. Now, in this family that we've been joined to by the Spirit, we've got a lot of relearning to do. Some of us are schmucks. You know that? You are. And I am. And you brought with you from your family and from your whatever you've learned and your hurts and your experiences. And, and frankly, you're just going to keep hurting people and hurting yourself if you don't submit yourself to the Spirit and let Him teach you a few things in this new family. Do you realize that? We've been hurt and twisted by sin. And the Spirit is remaking us. And one of the key ways he does this is he introduces us to new family members and we learn how to treat each other. We learn how to treat each other as brothers and sisters. Paul, in another letter, he wrote to another young leader uh, advising him how to interact with his congregation. He said this, it's very interesting, listen to this. He says, do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers. Older women as mothers and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Notice that last line. You know, if more people and pastors within the church did that, a world of hurt would not exist or would be healed. But sadly, 
People often resist the work of the Holy Spirit. They just continue to persist in the patterns of sin that they learned. And they don't want to subject themselves to change. They don't want to repent of their sin. And people have often resisted that. And so it's tragic. The church, unbelievably, and to Jesus' horror, has become a place at times of sexual hurt, of oppression and abuse. That even happened here in our history. And that's anti-Christ. Anything that's anti-body is anti-Christ. But this kind of hurt that occurs and has occurred within the church, that always has to be named and exposed for what it is. Absolutely contrary to God's will and against his plan. And if you are a person that was ever hurt by someone in the church, someone that should have loved you, someone that should have cared for you, someone that talked out of one side of their mouth about Jesus and the other hand denied him, I am so sorry. You need to know that God loves you. That was never his plan. That was never what he desired. He wants you to be healed within his family, not hurt. It's the heart of God to protect the weak and heal the broken. And there will be judgment for those who have hurt little ones. Just look at the teaching to Jesus to find out more about that. But you are loved. Jesus wants you healed and whole within his family. And as tragic and true as that has been, it doesn't take away from God's plan that we would be restored in a new family of people who are themselves being restored as full images of God. Okay, so what about marriage then? And what about the other half of the church that doesn't get married or isn't married? Well, that's where we go next. Because now within the church, the Holy Spirit establishes marriage as a witness to Jesus' love for the church. The Holy Covenant of Marriage is a God-ordained institution designed to provide a protective place of flourishing for men, women, and for children. Without the protection of marriage, people would be left without a net. And so many more vulnerable people would be hurt and destroyed. And though marriage and family has tragically at times been a place of terror and abuse for some, it's been a place of protection for far more. Cross culture, cross time, we're thankful to God for it. But the Christian marriage, the sexual union of a man and a woman who are themselves being remade by the Spirit, it takes on a meaning that is far greater. Within the Christian church, marriage now points beyond itself to the love that God has for his people. We're told that in Ephesians 5, where the Apostle Paul challenges all the Christians to mutually submit to one another. I know some of you, you heard that clanging wives submit to husbands like, oh my goodness, that is so archaic, forgetting that everybody's supposed to submit to each other. Like everyone, that's how the whole thing reads. To submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, and he applies it to each person's individual situation. And when he tells wives to submit to husbands, they're like, well, we have to do that anyway. That's no big deal. What's really revolutionary is being to tell husbands they need to love their wives. I don't know, it doesn't sound revolutionary to you, does it? But I'll guarantee you, the guys sitting in that audience that day, they're like, what? I have to love her too? Are you serious? Like, nobody told me that. I'm not joking. You think that's funny? The idea of loving and caring for your wife? No, no, that's not why I married her. I married her to have kids, you know? She is a utility to me. She's a property. Now, he revolutionizes marriage by telling them to love their wives, but not just love them. Love them like Christ loves the church? Love them as, they, as you love your own bodies? Like, this is radical stuff. But then he says, this is a profound mystery. But I'm actually talking about Christ in the church. 
However, you know, you should love your wife and wives should respect your husbands. And what we see consistently through the New Testament is that the good news of Jesus revolutionizes relationships and it revolutionizes marriage and makes the Christian marriage a witness to the good news of Jesus itself, which is why it's so tragic when Christian marriages fail or simply fail to be the witness to God's love for the church that they were designed to be. When men and women resist the work of the Holy Spirit and allow sin to rule instead, marriage can be a relationship of shame and hurt rather than healing and testimony. But that is not what it was designed for. It was designed to be part of our spiritual formation for those who are married, but ultimately a witness to the world and each other of God's love for the church which is why we need to continue to repent and pray and support and work for the flourishing of marriages. Everyone, whether you're single or married, we need to work and pray for and support the flourishing of marriages, marriages of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, to do that, I do want to throw out a couple of important voices for you. I want to highlight two books that you should all read. It doesn't matter if you're married or single. You should read these two books. The first one is called The Great Sex Rescue by Sheila and Rachel Gregoire, as well as uh, another woman named Joanna, I think, wrote it. It is an amazing book that is so very needed in your marriage if you're married. Uh, But it's needed also for us to understand uh, what's going on in marriages. And I highly recommend it to any one of you, particularly if uh, the whole area of, of sex and sexual interaction has been an area of difficulty for you. But even broader than that, it's a very, very important book. The second one, uh, second voice I want to, is, is the, the voices of Matt and Lori Krieg. They wrote a book, uh, the, uh, An Impossible Marriage. Such a good book. And I've recommended it before. I will recommend it again. It's such a powerful book um, that not only tells their story, but casts a vision for what it means to be in a marriage that frankly feels impossible. And within that, learning how to live into a marriage as a witness to God's love for the church. Every one of you need to read that, particularly if you're married, but also single, because it casts an incredible vision. And then just as a, it's honestly kind of a side note, but I think important to note that Lori Krieg is same-sex attracted. She's uh, in her uh, desire to be faithful to Jesus. She's married to Matt, who is a man, and they have kids. Uh, but she herself is same-sex attracted. And so this is called a mixed orientation marriage. Um, but it's an incredible um, incredible theology and life lived of uh, this couple as they witness to Jesus through their marriage. You will benefit from their story and their podcast is great too. God, it seems, is keen that humans flourish as sexed persons in the covenant boundaries he set for them. But the New Testament teaching on marriage also does something surprising. While revolutionizing the marriage covenant and restricting sexual union to that marriage covenant, Marriage is actually, in fact, relativized. The marriage relationship is no longer the ideal to which everyone must aspire in order to be fully human, which has been true in lots of cultures, and unfortunately it's been true true sometimes or held up that way in the church. Because what we also see happening within the church as the Holy Spirit seeks to restore us is the Spirit elevates singleness as a calling to serve Jesus. No more marriage is the ideal and, oh, that's too bad. You haven't found someone and God will bring someone along someday when he probably won't. You know, as though it's a tragedy that you haven't found someone. You know, lots of people don't find someone. Some of you are wishing you hadn't found someone. (laughs) I'm I'm serious. You thought you should have been married and you found the wrong dude. 
And you're either still married to him and it sucks, or, I'm sorry, it's just true, or you're not married to him anymore because of that, and vice versa. And lots of you shouldn't even be looking, quite frankly. Marriage is not going to solve a problem that Jesus was meant to heal. And frankly, Jesus might have a higher calling for you. Because being single and celibate is a very high calling, perhaps higher than that of marriage. Jesus was a celibate single. You all know that, right? Whatever Dan Brown said, that guy was making stuff up. Paul was a celibate single too. And down through history, countless men and women followed Jesus as single people who were not sad cases walking around feeling less than because they hadn't found someone. No, they were sold out because they had found someone. His name was Jesus, and frankly, he was enough. And within the church, they got the family support they needed. This is critical. Paul, in that somewhat culturally confusing chapter, 1 Corinthians 7, makes at least this very clear. Marriage is good, but being single is better. That's what it says. And why? Well, because a single person can give themselves fully to the mission of Jesus to restore people, including the mission of Jesus to restore marriages. One of the greatest friends that Tanil and I have in our court supporting our marriage is a faithful single friend who loves Jesus and loves us. Within the church family, single people are called and esteemed and valued. And to be clear, that doesn't mean they're less sexed or less sexual than anyone else. No, rather that they have submitted themselves as sexed embodied persons to the person of Jesus Christ. And they know they can serve him better as a witness, single. Even as a testimony to us of our future resurrection state. But again, because there's so many voices to the contrary on this one, I want to recommend a couple voices for you. And this does happen to be, very intentionally, from two of our gay brothers in Christ, uh, men who are faithfully celibate followers of Jesus. I want to recommend uh, two guys to you. First is Wesley Hill, who wrote, uh, I think the next slide, uh, Cameron. Yeah, uh, Wesley Hill wrote a book called Washington Waiting, which is his story. Um, beautiful, amazing, you got to read it. And then very compelling, David Bennett's story of coming to faith in Christ and following Jesus, also powerful. I wept and wept reading the story of how he was led to Christ in a gay bar in Australia by another young woman. It was, it's, I wept. It was such a powerful story. But both those men, Wesley Hill's written another book called Spiritual Friendship, which I've recommended to you before on just singleness. And, um, I, I think it's important to hear their voices as gay men, as gay Christians who've, who have chosen to be faithfully celibate, um, but also because, you know, they've got so much to say to, to me as a married man. They really, really do. Uh, so much to say. I've just benefited so much from, from their voices. They have helped my marriage. And then, uh, as well as for anyone who's single, there's just so much benefit there. And so I offer them to you uh, uh, for, your, for your benefit. All humans image God in their sexed bodies, whether you're gay or straight or married or remain celibate. Within the church, the marriage is important, yes, but it's not idolized. It's not idealized. Sexual union is reserved for the marriage covenant between a man and a woman. That union points to this exclusive relationship of Christ with his church. And we don't always understand uh, the boundaries that God's puts in place, but we do trust his goodness and his wisdom in it. Outside of that specific covenant, followers of Jesus are called to celibacy. 
to honor God with their bodies and to seek his desire for human flourishing and for his glory. And singleness is elevated to this high position, high regard, commitment to the mission. The call to follow Jesus and image him comes to us, whether you're single, whether you're married. It's a beautiful vision of being human, of being restored by the spirit. So we're all called, wherever we are, to bear witness to God's love for the church. And then, and this is what I love, to get in on his plan to see people restored. Isn't that beautiful? Beautiful. Don't be thrown by that. Well, our practical response as we finish today, which obviously we need to finish. I want to just follow those four lines and say that for each one of us, our call to respond might be unique given where we're at, right? For some of us, just accepting our sex bodies as a good gift from God is where we're at. That we need to, 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 to do some hard work on that because we look at our bodies and feel our bodies, particularly our sex bodies, as something that's off or wrong. Uh, something that we wish we didn't have or maybe even want to be changed. Uh, we can often have experienced such hurt and such pain in those very places that to even come to a place of recognizing that it's good uh, is very hard. It's going to be a very long process, but it's absolutely essential. But also... We need to acknowledge where we're broken. We need to acknowledge sin. Some of us, that means we need to seek to receive healing in those places, particularly in our sex bodies. We need to come to Jesus, go to counseling, uh, be with some committed spiritual friends who will help us come to a place of healing, of greater healing in those places of deep pain. And Jesus wants you to experience that healing. He really, really does because it's so central to who we are and our flourishing. Connected to that brokenness, there are those who will need to seek repentance. Now, if you've harmed someone else, then you need to get wisdom and counsel for how that would happen, and it may not be able to happen directly. But there are ways that we've harmed each other or harmed ourselves through sexual uh, expression or practices or thinking or, you know, patterns. I don't even need to get into it. I'll let the Holy Spirit prompt you on that. But to be able to repent from those things and say, Lord, I want to be a person who's being made whole. And so will you teach me? Will you lead me? Will you, will you forgive my sin and restore me in my area of hurt and brokenness? And acknowledging that is so critical. The third one is probably the center of what I'd like us to walk away with today. And that is recognizing that we are gods, as in owned by God. There's a sense in which I may not fully understand how I, uh, married or, or, or single or gay or straight or same-sex, whatever, I may not understand how this is all going to work. But to say, God, I'm yours. I want to honor you with my body. And so I'm submitting myself to you as, a, as an embodied sexed person. I'm submitting myself to your will. You live inside me, and I need you to show me the way forward. That's such a powerful place to be. He's got such beautiful plans for each one of us. And so to come to a place of just saying, the therefore at the end of 1 Corinthians 6, honor God with your bodies. God, I want to honor you with my body. So lead me in that. And then restoring, recognizing that somehow in the midst of that, we are called to serve one another as men and women in Christ, seeking for the sake of God's glory and each other's flourishing, 
seeking what the Holy Spirit is set out to do, which is restoring each one of us into the people that he's created us to be. And friends, that is awesome. He's got such a good plan for us. He loves each one of you so much and uh, longs to see you restored. And he's committed himself to the project. Aren't you happy about that? Yeah. Uh, The team's going to come and lead us in a final song as I pray. Holy Spirit of God, we, uh, we look to you. We're so glad that you were willing to come to be in us, to be one of us. And so we just ask, Holy Spirit, um, that you would lead us to acknowledge you, to submit ourselves to you. And Lord, for anyone who would have been disturbed today by, by what was said, I just ask that you would, you would cover that over and remind us that we're loved. Um, as we submit to you and receive your goodness, we will come to know that in a profound way. And so thank you, Jesus, for loving us in our mess and in our sin and in our brokenness. Thank you for your powerful vision of restoring us to life and your commitment to doing so. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening in today. We hope you feel encouraged and challenged. If you know someone who would benefit from what you have heard today, please share this podcast. For more information, or if you have questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for Erickson Covenant Church.